Without trust, it's impossible to please God. So I realized that the author of Hebrews was saying, hey, if you will just trust God with your life, you will find that you've never been so pleasing to him. But if you start on the road of pleasing God, you will find yourself in a prison in a room of good intentions. And you will always be intending to do better. And you will always have this sense of shame that you didn't do enough. You are never caught up. The room of grace, on the other hand, which is the room that the road of trusting God leads to, is a room that is absolutely magnificently different. Grace specializes in imperfection. Grace takes the long view. Grace will protect, not excuse your weaknesses. And grace will teach you how to experience being loved from other people instead of just respected. That was Bruce McNichol, and this is the Things Above Podcast. So my guests today are Bruce McNichol and Robbie Angle, and I am so excited to have these guys on the Things Above podcast for so many reasons. Let me give just a brief introduction to who they are. So Bruce McNichol is a co-contributor with Dallas Willard of the Kingdom Life on Spiritual Formation. Bruce is also President Emeritus of True Face, whose mission is to equip people to experience authentic relationships with God and others. Bruce co-founded True Face and co-authored The Cure and Bose Cafe and The Ascent of a Leader, all highly acclaimed books. Also on the podcast with us today, Robbie Angle. Robbie is the current uh, president and CEO of True Face, lives in Dawsonville, Georgia with his wife, Emily, and his eight children. We should probably just talk about that at some point. <laughs> Prior to serving at True Face, Robbie served for seven years at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, that church that was founded by Andy Stanley. In his role, Robbie utilized True Face resources through his various positions as director of adult ministry environments and director of men's group. Robbie and his wife, Emily, both worked uh, in professional counseling and aid work where they served with Samaritan's Purse in Pakistan, Myanmar, overseeing international disaster response teams. And Robbie's also the author of The Cure for Groups and a new book called Embark. These guys are fantastic. Their work is unbelievable. And I am so glad. Welcome, Robbie and Bruce. Thank you. Uh, it's so good to be with you, Jim. And we're looking forward to being with you in person in September. At the I know. It's going to be so I know. Fun. I'm going to shamelessly plug that in just a minute. Oh, terrific. So let me just say a word about my connection. So I read The Cure several years ago. That book was had a huge impact on me. And Bruce, you were one of the co-authors. Rob, you've written the group version for the book. But The Cure not only had a huge impact on me, but many other people who I really respect. So let me just, for our listeners' sake, here's what Dr. Michael Wise, who I've met, Dr. Wise was here on, on the Fringe University campus, world-renowned biblical scholar. Here's what Michael Wise said. The cure is at the center of renewal. It deals with the depths of God's grace. We learn from it that we are saints who sin, not sinners saved by grace. We need to be reminded, behold, yourself in Christ rejoice. And here's what former Major League pitcher Dave Dravecki said of The Cure. There is no other resource that has had such a profound impact in my life other than the Bible like The Cure has. It has literally transformed my thinking. And then Roberta Heston is who I met many years ago, former president of Eastern University Leader World Vision. Here's what she said. Sometimes a book can change your life. This one changed mine. 
This is the best and most practical book in Living by Grace that I've ever read. So, wow, these are heavy hitters. The endorsements go on and on. Add me to the list. So the work that you guys are doing is profound. Our listeners probably don't know a lot about this. Maybe they do. So I ask every guest who's written books the same question, why did you write this book? But in your cases, because you've written books separately and you work on stuff together uh, around the same ideas, my question to you guys is this. What is the key thought from above? There's this podcast. What is the key thought from above or truth or idea that's found in these books that changed your life the most? This is uh, such a great question because I wrestled with this issue of the byline of the cure, which is what if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you? And that led me on a journey of trying to trust God with who I am rather than to trust me and my ideas with who I am. Mm. It, it led me to this place where I could say, you know, God says I'm a new creation. And he says that I am righteous and holy and all Christians in the New Testament are called saints, not sinners. Even when Paul's talking about being chief of sinners, that's in his history. And I needed to know that in order to be freed up to mature into the person he'd already made me. That was my Mm. wrestle that I needed to struggle with uh, a a question of what if he uh, isn't who you think he is and neither are you. He's made you a brand new creation. That freed me up and I I still ponder it every day um, in my life with my marriage and my family, my friends, people I'm working with. Mm, that's so good. I love that. Mature into the person God has already made me to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so good because the transformation, the old word, you know, the old theological word, justification, we've been justified and sanctified. Yes. And then we live into that maturity. Yes. I love that, Bruce. That is so, so good. Okay. Um, that's been my journey too. Hmm. So Robbie, what about you? What What would you say is the the, the key idea or truth that has really impacted your life the most. Yeah, well, um, I, I'm a pretty high drive, high achiever, uh, pretty authentic faith at a young age. So as an eight Enneagram, high drive, high achiever, I'm going to go do awesome stuff for God. And mm. uh, so I was uh, building my own kingdom without knowing it. Um, I had been taught grace, but it was conceptual. It wasn't really uh, experiential in understanding that uh, I didn't need to do anything more to earn his love, uh, that I just got to receive it, but receiving it, uh, is way harder for, for me than to go own it and to, to go earn it. And mm-hmm. I was in Northern Pakistan doing missions in Al Qaeda territory. And so everything on paper had arrived. I was doing this awesome stuff for God and God was blessing it, doing incredible ministry. And that was where the father loved me enough to know, uh, I needed to come to the end of awesome ministry to realize he didn't need me to do anything. He just hoped that I received his love as a loving father. And so I I spent a few years wrestling with that. And then I stumbled across the cure and good and beautiful God at similar times. And I had read Ragamuffin Gospel and Practice of the Prince of God and Andrew Murray. But Mm. in that brokenness of coming up short, I started reading with uh, new, new eyes and new heart 
um, these these messages about sanctification and, and what Bruce just said. And so I've been on that journey and stay on that journey. And I was uh, at North Point uh, leading the men's groups and the, the married groups and the women's groups and all the adult ministry model. And I was in, I was leveraging this teaching of the cure and good and beautiful God into the groups. And um, we speak about the good and beautiful community and we speak about the room of grace. When we trust God, um, it leads to a depth of authentic community that is, is rich and God has designed us to grow through the context of relationships. But the tension was relationships uh, that actually lead to growth are really hard to find in our churches, in our communities. And mm. so the cure for groups is a, a response to that question of what are the practical tools that I was able to see studying hundreds of groups going, what are the best practices? How do we lead a small group, a micro church, a small group of people that connect relationally to grow spiritually? What are the best practices? What are the tips and tricks that the great leaders do versus those that aren't leading great groups uh, to try to equip people to um, find authentic community, but then foster and develop that to the next level to experience the power and the freedom that comes when we're living in authentic community and, and maturing into these truths in community. Mm, that is so good. So Robbie, you used the word a bunch of times and it's such an Im important and powerful word and that is authentic. Mm. And you know, one of the things that, um, that I've seen, because I've used the cure also with undergraduate students, um, is, is when you can really live deeply into grace, this idea that you are loved no matter what, you are forgiven forever by Christ. Um, when, when you grasp that reality, it, it, it allows you to take off the mask, which is a huge concept within what the cure is about. And I've seen that so many times. And I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, Robbie, but I really want to ask this question. Like, what is it that happens that allows for authentic community to happen when they, when a person or a group of people together grasp this idea, I am loved, I am forgiven, this is who God is, this is who I authentically am, I'm loved, I'm forgiven. What, what is it that happens in that process? What have you seen? I, I've seen uh, people be able to experience God's love through the love of others and to mature into to this journey of sanctification because in, in it's connected. If we're more known, we can be more loved. And if I'm, if I'm not known, if I don't feel safe, if, if the environment isn't trusting enough, um, then I have to pose and, and I have to wear a mask. And when I mm -hmm. wear a mask and I present to you, Jim, who I want you to see Robbie as it's the mask that receives the love. It's not me. And if we can't create an environment where we get to love each other, we miss out on, protecting each other uh, from each other's weaknesses, of submitting to each other's strengths, of, of sharpening each other. And um, the, in, in really the essence of that is in authentic community, we get to practice love, which is discipleship. The, by this, they'll yeah. know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And, it, and so that level of authenticity, vulnerability is connected to being known and therefore being loved, which is really pretty central to um, this process of discipleship and, and how we mature into mm -hmm. who God allowed us to be. Mm. Man, that is so good. You know, you mentioned earlier Brennan Manning, and I, I remember something Brennan once said to me. He's like, you know, how can you love me if you don't know what hurts me. 
That's right. How can you love me if you don't know my areas of brokenness? And that's that's what you're saying, right? I mean, that's what's so profound and so powerful. Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug for our upcoming apprentice <laughs> gathering, our conference, because we're going to be together. You guys are coming to uh, September 23, 4, and 5, and you're co-leading an intensive workshop. And here's the title of your workshop. I love it. Creating Authentic Communities, Life Beyond the Mask. I mean, it's like, you know, what is the, the movie, uh, Jerry Maguire? You had me at hello. I mean, you have me at that. <laughs> you have me at that title, right? I want to know what that is. And, and you're going to be talking about the next generations uh, of leaders are, we're the most socially connected and the most relationally lonely culture, right? Or people in our, in the history of our culture. Mm. And I think that's, that's say a little bit about the, what you guys are going to be talking about. Don't give away too much because we want people to come. You know, one of the things that my generation, and I'm twice as old, uh, I, I tell Robbie, hey, if you're the president for the next 30 years, you still won't be as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so have at it, you know. But it's so important to have a president uh, with true face where we have a mission to free people to live loved who understands these next generations and understands the millennials and the Zs and so forth. And I am just super grateful for that because I don't want them to miss what I missed when I was their age in terms mm. of living in an authentic community and learning how to be genuinely known and genuinely therefore loved. Uh, I am so, uh, so passionate for that, that I want to work most of the time with next generations of leaders. And I'm so grateful that we get a chance to talk about it uh, at the Apprentice Gathering. Oh, I, I, you guys, are, it's, I can't wait. I'm going to sit in as much as I can. I'll be working that day, but I'm going to find a way to escape and be in there. So Robbie, this, I, this, this, this statement, I love that. I mean, this gener the next generation, which would be, you know, millennials to an extent and certainly Gen Z or whatever we're calling them, the most socially connected and the most relationally lonely. How did that happen? Was did is technology a part of that? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think you know things are changing so quickly that each generation, even in a ten year span, has so much uh, so much technology cultural shifts that it's almost too early to diagnose in some ways. Really, the root cause of what's leading to heightened levels of anxiety and disconnectedness and loneliness, but we know we're seeing it. We know we're seeing a, ri a rise in all these things. And um, one thing that we've learned and seen is that uh, the art of relationship has just been lost and changed to a degree that you don't have that muscle because you haven't been practicing it. And, you know, even I was right on the cusp of the generation where, you know, you get the corded phone and you stretch it to the other room so your siblings can't hear you and you would talk on the phone for 45 minutes. Um, now with, with text messages and social media, the snippets uh, that keep at a certain level of depth uh, really prevent in a big way um, the depth of relationship where we are more known in order to be more loved. And so we just don't have as many opportunities in the busyness uh, from societal trends of busyness and sports and suburbia stuff to social media. Um, to And so on one hand, we haven't been able to practice the next generation, what depth of relationship looks like that actually leads to growth. And the anxieties and pressures are also, that's a whole nother podcast, but we're seeing some trends that are concerning. Um, and so 
part of uh, what we want to do at Trueface is equip people with the tools to learn how to foster deep, deeper relationships, to get unstuck, to break the cycles of busyness and, and hiddenness uh, in order to experience the depth of relationship that really God has designed us for and, and that all of us long for, we just don't know how to find it. And, and it's, it's hard. It's not as intuitive uh, as we would assume. And even for older generations, those in 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, how many people, men and women, do we see that are intentional and authentic in a deep fellowship with other believers where they're fully known, fully loved, and maturing into those truths in the power and the and the strength of community of those around them? It's hard for all of us. And, and yeah. that's really part of our passion to create tools that make it easier because it isn't easy. No, I mean, yeah, and and Bruce and I can attest for our generation. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, we didn't have some of the the restrictions or obstacles with technology, but it's still hard. I mean, it's still you get back to that same thing of how much do I want to be known? I want to be known, but I, there's this part of us that wants to hide, and there's all that fear. Your intensive workshop at the conference is going to be fantastic, and I'm really excited. The whole conference. So, if you, listeners, please sign up. Uh, we still have some room. We're, it's, it's, they're coming in every day, which is great. Uh, we're going to be in person. It's uh, on the campus of Friends University, uh, Wichita, Kansas, September 23, 4, and 5. I'll be speaking, Scott McKnight, Michael Cusick. Those guys have been on the podcast, as well as Emily Freeman, Susie Larson, Juanita Rasmus, who also have been on the podcast. So it's just going to be a fantastic event to be back together in person. So uh, guys, let me just say a word. True Face Ministries, which Bruce, you were one of the co-founders, right? You yes. and John and, 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 and Bill, like you guys, well, give us a little history of True Face because uh, you, you were the president. You're now emeritus and Robbie, you are the current president. Tell us about, about True Face, what this ministry is about. Yeah. You know, it's, it's similar to many organizations uh, and missions and such that get started out of a desire to help resolve a deep uh, re, uh, abiding universal pain and that's what uh, janet and i experienced uh, in the decade before true face was started the particular work that we got to do based out of chicago put us in touch with thousands of christian leaders from diverse platforms of cultural influence at so government politics entertainment uh, technology educators, authors, military, and it was just a privilege and an honor to work alongside some tremendous leaders. But we got to see the dark side of the divine work during that time. And we also got acquainted with way too many leaders whose backstage did not match their front stage, as they say. And so during that 10 years, Janet and I increasingly knew that we would move from leadership development to leader development. And that was the impetus for starting True Face. We had two burning questions. And one of them was, why are there so many educated, eloquent, successful Christian leaders who are nevertheless leading hidden and disintegrated, use that word, inauthentic, relationally troubled lives? And, and how could we create environments that would free these leaders to live love so they'd live in the light like the Apostle John says? Um, so that's what we've invested our time to do. And that was the impetus um, in Chicago to start True Face. And by that time, I wanted to ask uh, our co-founder, Bill Thrall, uh, to move uh, to 
Chicago and we started in Chicago, but he said he couldn't really pray about that, uh, that he had to, we were going to do this in Phoenix if we were going to do it together because he grew up in Milwaukee and he'd done his time. And so that's why I tell people I live in Arizona is he doesn't pray that much. Because of Bill. That's yeah, good. it's all because of Bill. Uh, so we've been able to do that. You know, next Monday will be our 26th anniversary. And uh, we are so grateful for this incredible story of God's grace. It's, it's all his grace. Amazing. You know, I love that when you talk about moving from leadership to leadership development to leader development. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's, and I, you're careful with your words there, but that's a big shift, you know, because yes. leadership development, how do I, how can I be a more effective leader? Leader development is, is how do I care for my own soul? How do I develop myself? Yeah. How do I pay attention to my inner world? And that's what's most important. Like that's what we actually give. It is. And ironically, the most overlooked as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it is a stunning thing and it just continues to go on and on. And we, you know, Eugene Peterson years ago, right? He named it in his book, Working the Angles, when he said, we've created people in ministry are just shopkeepers. They're just, they know how to run a shop, but they don't know how to work the angles, which is spiritual formation and discipleship in Christ. And wow. So So, I'm so grateful. So I just have to ask this real quick. So people listening, they're going, are these guys saying that right? Because they keep saying true face. Do they mean, (laughs) is that, it's a play on two faced, right? I mean, the idea that, because we say of a person who was one, one, as you said, Bruce, on backstage and front stage are different. Why that person's two faced. Mm-hmm. How did you come to that? Because it's a great word. How did you come to True Faced? We came to True Faced through our first uh, or second publisher, Nav Press, and they came up with that word, uh, you know, as a play on Two Faced. Mm. But then, as the cure began to be translated into other languages and continents, we realized, oh, they don't have an idiom like Two Faced. <laughs> it's American, so, right? Yeah. It's American. So we yeah. changed the title of the book to The Cure because everyone understands uh, when you're sick, you need a cure. And Jesus is that cure. And then we changed the, the organization to, it just took the D off and called it True Face. Uh, when I'm ever talking about this, I think about Shakespeare who said, God hath given you one face and you make yourself another. Mm. And that's the, you know, like your two narratives idea uh, that you talk about so much, Jim. I really appreciate right. that. Um, and so that's that's the history of how True Faced became the cure and how the organization became True Face. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that that's really helpful. I I didn't know some of that. I mean, I, I know a little bit of the history. Um, so the cure is the book. That's the one that I encountered. So many people have encountered. And as you said, there's this idea of true and false narratives. And and you have, the book is is laid out in this, there's two of a bunch of things, two roads, two faces, uh, two gods, for example, those are the first three chapters. But let's look at the at, at these sets of two, if you don't mind. And I'm going to ask each of you to, to chime in on that. So Bruce, let's start with you. The book begins with their two roads. Hmm. Explain what are the two roads and of course, one of them is going to be the right road, right? Yeah, but yeah. Which, t- tell us about the two roads, and then I'm going to, Robbie, you're going to follow up with the two faces. So Great. you're on deck. Uh, well, it was back to that question, what if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? And I began to realize that all world religions are based on performance, except Christianity. 
in the world religions, you please your deity and he grants you favors. You fail your deity and you get consequences. Um, Christianity is based on trust. And to be able to trust that God has declared truth about me and to experience it and that he remains crazy in love with me, even when I am not doing well in my relationships or in my personal life or whatever, doesn't matter the day, he still remains crazy in love with me. Um, that caused me to realize that Hebrews eleven six was trying to point that out, that without faith or without trust, which is, uh, you know, faith is just the noun form of the verb to trust. Without trust, it's impossible to please God. So I realized that the author of Hebrews was saying, hey, if you will just trust God with your life, you will find that you've never been so pleasing to him. But if you start on the road of pleasing God, you will find yourself in a prison in a room of good intentions. And you will always be intending to do better. And you will always have this sense of shame that you didn't do enough. You are never caught up. The room of grace, on the other hand, which is the room that the road of trusting God leads to, is a room that is absolutely magnificently different. Grace specializes in, in imperfection. You know, grace takes the long view. Grace will protect, not excuse your weaknesses. And grace will teach you how to experience being loved from other people instead of just respected. So those two roads of pleasing and trusting create a fork in the road. And that's where I had grown up much of my early Christian life on the road of pleasing God. And it wasn't working for me, but I was sure putting a lot of people through that boot camp. Um, and yeah, me too. You know, you know, so I was multiplying a dysfunction until God, by his spirit, really graciously dealt with me in this Hebrews eleven six passage. Mm, that is, uh, that's a great summation. And, and I think one of the things I love about The Cure is you guys are so good with words and the clarity and, and how you define those things. And you get it. I know that road. I've been on that road of trying to please God. Uh, I was on that road way too long. And then that, that road of trusting, it's a whole different approach and it changes, it changes everything. And that leads to the two, the two faces, which is the second chapter of the book. Robbie, Teach us about the two faces. Yeah, the the two faces continues because if we head down towards pleasing God, we end up in uh, the room of good intentions. And, and the allegory continues and talks about how we have pressure. All of us have pressure to wear a mask. And our two faces are either our true face, who we are in our authentic self and the mask that we wear and and it un, uh, unpacks you know the different types of masks that each of us are tempted to wear uh one is the pedigree mask that we have it all together that we're good and and that can even be uh for a lot of us in ministry uh a mask that is that feels right and honoring to god because uh we we um feel a pressure to represent God's faithfulness in our lives and follow through. So we put on this pedigree mask that others see us as put together, got it all together. See, look at what Jesus has done in my life. And it, really, that's not us. Uh, 
and we're still struggling and, and we um, feel this pressure to pose in a way that is not authentic. And so it really is a chapter that picks at what, what leads us to the mask and how do we take down that mask? Because we really can't take down the mask and be our true selves unless we see ourselves the way God sees us. And so how identity and seeing ourselves as adopted righteous sons and daughters of the king is critical to then diminish and minimize our shame because our shame says, no, you're a screw up. You'll never be enough. And if others see you the way you see you, no way they can love you and accept you. So Robbie, you better put on the mask and present in a certain way because you're a mess up. And, and no, if, if I see myself as a righteous son, then my shame goes away. And he, he died for my shame as well, because he's given me a new name, a new, a, he's made me a new creation as an adopted righteous son. So I, then I'm allowed to be my true self because my identity is from him, not from, from others that I need to present in a, myself in a way that they will accept me. So it, 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 we really unpack how identity and theology and shame affect the mask that we wear. There's a quote uh, at the end of the chapter that says, once we are weary enough of mask wearing, we can begin rediscovering the true face of Jesus. He's the centerpiece in the room of grace. Jesus will always nudge us further out into the open, allowing our true faces to be revealed. Our true faces are beautiful too. God made them exactly the way he wanted, and he longs to see his reflection. The trouble with paper mache is it doesn't reflect. I thought that was cool just... uh, and and how we get to to mature into the men and women who he's made us to be and that's in our authentic selves with others. Yeah. And it's so it's so profound. So I want to ask this question and this is really for both of you guys as kind of a follow-up. Robbie, thank you. That was a gr- brilliant explanation. So in in the room of grace, the place we want we we're journeying toward and where we want to live and that authentic self take off the mask. I'm just going to, I never want to be the devil's advocate. I don't want to advocate for anything, anything the devil's advocating for, but you know the old cliche, but let me just say like, give the little caveat, the little warning. And I think about this because I, I work with people in ministry, in our master's courses and so forth and training people for ministry. And I talk about the, there is a limit to which you, you can disclose, self-disclose with your people though. Like, for example, I remember my, I had a preaching professor who said, he gave the analogy of, um, <clears throat> like in the Civil War, he said, the soldiers are okay seeing the general bleed. They just can't see him hemorrhage. Meaning, you know, the idea that we, want, we, can, we can share our humanness with those that we're in ministry with. And, that, and that's very helpful, even from the pulpit. But there is a limitation, right, to where you, how, how you self-disclose, to whom you self-disclose, what you know, within the, the confines of a trusting relationship. Any wisdom on that? Because I, I know there's some out there going, wow, I don't, how do I share uh, appropriately or with a group that, or with people that I can trust? Any wisdom on that? I, I love this topic because I think you're bringing up a good point of the, the discernment and the wisdom of what levels of vulnerability and modeling vulnerability we should have with different groups. But when you say my people, um, I, I see two different groups that I think as Christian leaders, we've got to have. One is uh, the people that God has stewarded us to influence and to lead. And whether they know my last 3%, uh, if that's beneficial or not, that's a prayerful discerning process for me to go, hey, what what is wise and, and for the sake of 
loving them and what is beneficial for them and how much I disclose or don't disclose in my humanness. But the the more significant question, Jim, is is as ministry leaders, do we have our our two other people, our one other person, our three other people that we're fully known by? Uh, mm. the, the last 5% stuff um, that we're intentional and consistent with because all too often we're seeing ministry leaders who feel that pressure you're alluding to of stewarding their position with wisdom and discernment, but that that's a that's thin ice to then transferring into all of their relationships. And if they're not intentional and consistent with being fully known by a few, uh, that's how we get taken out. Uh, we, we, get hidden in certain areas and that thing grows and ends up taking us out. And we all know this, this is a tension and a problem in leadership and, and leaders have a hard time being fully known by a few others. And so my greatest hope is that anyone listening, um, are you intentional and consistent with at least one or two other people in your life? That that's the most significant thing. Oh, that's brilliant. Bruce, anything to add to that? Yeah. I have two thoughts. One is I think, in uh, the Cure for Groups, Robbie's next book, uh, in the chapter called Setting Sail, he talks about the three levels of friendship. And I think it's that third level that Robbie is reaching out for those that are listening to say, hey, there are boundaries in various groups that you need to honor in what you share, but there's gotta be somebody or two or three that you trust with who you are so that they, as we would say, uh, realize that you're submitting to their strengths so they can protect, but not excuse your weaknesses, uh, submitting to the strengths of others. Like it says, submit to one another. There's gotta be, uh, a, a couple two, three people. There are actually more in my life right now. I guess you get old enough. You, you can have more people, but that I need to submit to their strengths so they can protect. And again, not excuse my weaknesses. Uh, we talk about protection for person and accountability for task. Those are two mm. different kinds of ideas. And I'm passionate uh, for what Robbie has just shared. There's got to be somebody. Say our... that again, Bruce, the uh, accountability for task. What was yeah. the first part? We, we would say that we use this process of protection for person protection. and mm. accountability for task because if you are in a group and you're holding the person accountable who has proven countless times that he or she will fail at it. That's a silly thing to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Will you put the responsibility on the person who has no power and has proven it to you over and over? There has to be a process of protection that we will stand with you. And, and that's really, you know, chapter four in the cure. It's about the control cycle. And do I trust somebody with me when I know that I'm about to act out? Do I mm. have those people in my life so that I don't have to be asking uh, for everybody's forgiveness? I actually can reach out to these people and trust them with my life mm. before that I mess so up. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. You guys really, yeah, the wisdom that you guys share is so powerful. I love it. Let's go to the two gods, Bruce. Well, uh, tell us about that because that's the third chapter is yeah. there, are, there are two gods, right? So we got the roads, the faces, and now there are two gods. That's tell us about right. that. Well, I think um, this is an interesting question. Uh, the question has always got to me, do I measure my closeness to God by how little I'm sinning or by my trust in him that to the exact extent that 
the Father loves Jesus, uh, he loves me. Uh, that John 17 amazing passage. And if I am measuring my closeness to God by the, the amount of good things I do uh, in a formula minus the uh, you know, amount of bad things I do, and that's what makes me close to God, then I've got one of those world religion gods. Mm. And uh, I have the wrong God. Um, and that is the way I, I grew up. Uh, I, I was measuring everything. And I thought that's the way you do that. I grew up in a, in a really wonderful Christian home, but it was high octane performance driven home. And, and then I got into a church that was that way. And the culture seemed that way. And I, um, I'm sure I wasn't taught that a lot of times, but I learned how to perform and it, it only grew my masks thicker and more diverse. So getting the wrong God will certainly wreak havoc with being able to enjoy the, it is finished salvation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they're all related, right? The rose, That's the right. faces, the God. I mean, it's all, it's all connected. Um, and it's just, now we could go through the whole book, but I want people to go, go get the book, go get your, <laughs> read it. Um, but Robbie, you've written a lot about leadership, community, and groups, um, the group guide for the cure that you've written, as well as the book uh, Embark. Uh, tell us about those books and, and what you're hoping for them. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about in the cure for groups, uh, you know, God has designed us for the, to grow through the context of relationships. And, uh, so in all of our churches, parachurches, you see groups of Christians, the ecclesia gathering together, micro churches, small churches, larger churches have small groups, life groups, cell groups. And there's an assumption that if people get together, they'll grow as disciples. Um, and you know, so really this book is, a. uh, unpacking what dif differentiates exceptional groups from lame groups, because I think too many of us have been in these type of groups that just feel lame. Uh, and, and I saw way too many of those that I got pretty fed up with it. Uh, and so I, I, I have this desire to go, man, uh, I want to experience a, a room of grace. Um, so how do I do that? There, there's gotta be a collection of best practices. If you line up a hundred amazing leaders, um, how many are great groups and what are they doing different than the rest, uh, in, in regards to how the, the art of how they gather and how they leverage that time for growth. Um, and so we say in the cure for groups, you know, out of the equation for a small group, I would say about 60% is connected to the leader, the health of their spiritual maturity, their theology, their identity, that is the cure. That is a good and beautiful God. That is the core of a leader, which is the majority of whether that group will be uh, life-giving and transformational and an exceptional, or if it'll be lame. Now, aside from the leader, the core of the leader, their theology identity, there's a bucket of best practices, how they leverage their time, uh, what the goals of the group are. That makes up about 25% of the dynamics of the effectiveness of a group that gathers together to connect relationally, to grow spiritually. And so the book uh, unpacks five core components that differentiate groups. After I studied hundreds, uh, probably thousands of groups and dozens of churches lining up the groups and going, what makes a difference? Because I'm getting an amazing leader here and an amazing leader there, 
that group's awesome. That group's lane. Do I actually know what uh, makes a difference? And these five core components are providing tools to help any small group leader um, or cell group leader, micro church leader, any leader of a, a, a group that's getting together to grow spiritually to do, first of all, determine your destination. Uh, these are all a sailing metaphor. So determining a destination and determining the goals of your group to know where you're going. Then two, their role is the captain, how they lead with intentionality and vulnerability with practical things that we were able to reverse engineer from the best leaders that we saw. Uh, and then the crew, how do you clarify uh, your group culture? Because each group that gets together has a culture. How do you set expectations? How do you determine guardrails, group rules, group values? Um, and then the ship, how do you design your time to get you to where you want to go? Uh, how do you maximize your 60 minutes together, your 90 minutes together? That actually makes a difference. And then last, how you plan out your route, how you plan ahead for six months at a time to get you to your destination and where you want to go. And so really, we're just equipping people with practical tools that 25% of uh, things that great leaders do to lead a group that leads to growth, to marry that with uh, the health of the leader, which takes a lifetime of development, uh, to lead more transformational groups where people are connecting and growing spiritually. That's our hope. And so it was tools to go, hey, this is some practical things that will equip you to create a room of grace or a Bose Cafe or just this environment uh, where, where you will connect on a deeper level in order to mature into these truths of who God says you are um, and, and experience what he has for you with each other and with him. Mm, it's so good. You guys are amazing, and the work that you're doing is is so anointed, um, and, and I'm just, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful. I you know I I can say also, Bruce, watching you and 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 how you chose to finish well in the, mm. in the work that you've done, and 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 equipping and working with Robbie. That's a beautiful thing too. I just I love this. It's it's wonderful, and I'm excited to be with you guys face to face. It's going to be fun. It I, it's not, not that far fun. away, right? It's going to end of September. It's going to be great. It's so, going to be. Thank uh, you, thank you, Jim, for all the work that you've done over the years to make to make this gathering, this tenth anniversary, so special with all these people that I, uh, some most of them I've met, but many of them I haven't, and so uh, we're just grateful for that. And I'm I'm also personally looking forward to uh, that remarkable uh, baked oatmeal at homegrown. <laughs> Am I taking you there again? Because we had I, that, oh, that. That was I fun. I love that. I had never had that. We don't have that. I had neither. It was, it was really good. And it, it's fun for me to, it, this, this uh, podcast is extra fun for me because as a younger leader, you, both of you through your writings, the good and beautiful books and the cure, uh, God blessed me with y'all's teaching from afar uh, over years. And, and there are hundreds of men and women who have used those teachings, Good and Beautiful God and The Cure in particular, as central um, teachings and language to help us wrestle with that 60%, the core of a leader. And you guys have been mentors from afar, uh, which is, is I'm just honored and thankful for y'all's leadership um, and the way uh, you've modeled it for us. And Bruce offered me a job, so I get to work with him more. But Jim, you've, 
keep it going and get that new book out, man. I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm, I am excited. I'm done. I finally finished Come it. Come on. Oh, that's that's great. Oh, that's great. Beautiful you. So I'm excited. Hey, yeah. Hey, uh, Jim, I just got to say that at Robbie's direction, we are beta testing nine month long cohorts of eight people all across the United States. And during this month, all the cohorts, and I'm in one of them, are reading the introduction in the first four chapters of The Good and Beautiful God. Um, wow. So if that's any indication, then The Good and Beautiful You, we can't wait. <laughs> well, you guys, this has been a blast. And Robbie, I'm excited for the work that you have done and will keep doing. It's just, this is great. I love how the kingdom works. The kingdom mm -hmm. is the most beautiful thing on earth. And to live uh, as Jesus' apprentice is, the, as Dallas would often say, it's it's the greatest invitation. Yeah. And that's what I love about this gathering. The apprentice gathering is, uh, as Emily Freeman said so well when she walked in to, the, to her first apprentice gathering, she went, these are my people. Like, <laughs> you know, these are my narratives. These are that's my practices. Right. This is, it's just, that's so fun. So looking forward to it. Guys, this has been a blast and a blessing to me. And I hope it has been for our listeners. I know it will be. So. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Wonderful. We'll do it again. Well, I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Bruce McNichol and Robbie Angle. I know I did. Their books and ministry have impacted me, and this interview was really inspiring. The Cure is such an amazing book, and I'm really excited to see both Bruce and Robbie at the Apprentice Gathering this September 23 through 25, 2021. I hope you'll join me next week for episode 116. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.